You're listening to The Ragged Edge. I'm Richard Stone. Police show up in riot gear and it, it all hell broke loose. And I remember I'm dragging my photographer out there because we're getting tear gassed and people are getting arrested. And, and I'm like, we have to get out of here. Someone's going to get killed. I mean, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like I, I was expecting gunfire. You know, it, it was just felt so tense and, and so unpredictable. We're coming up on the anniversary of the beginning of the Black Lives Matter protests and rallies, which swept our nation last summer after the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police. So I called a friend of mine who works at a newspaper in Asheville, North Carolina. David Thompson helped to cover seven very intense days of rallies, protests, and demonstrations. Now, Asheville's not a big city, about the size of Temple. So the intensity of the rallies and the police pushback was surprising, and it landed Asheville on the front pages of the nation's newspapers at the beginning of last summer. Here's the interview. David Thompson, welcome to the program. Hey, Richard. Uh, thanks for having no me. Problem, I really appreciate no problem. It. I wanted to talk to you about last summer. You're one of the few news guys that I know that was actually kind of on the ground during the Black Lives Matter protests and rallies and what turned into demonstrations sometimes. And I was really, really impressed by the reporting of your team over there in Asheville. I I don't know exactly Mm -hmm. how much you had to do with it. I do know that you were on the ground for part of that. Tell us a little bit what what it was like. I mean, Asheville is not a real big place. And when people think about the Black Lives Matter movement, they think more along the lines of Minneapolis and Portland and Washington, D.C. and to some degree, New York City. Uh, I mean, Austin had a huge turnout for it. But that Asheville had a huge, I would say, issue was a little surprising to me. Was it surprising to you? Yeah, I, I would say so. You know, you think of us where this kind of quiet mountain t- town known for tourism and good beer and hiking. And, you know, it's a mostly it's mostly white. It's like 70 percent uh, Caucasian. But there's a lot of young bearded people, obviously, who, who wanted to have their voices heard and a lot of activists in this area as well. Obviously, I never expected it to be at the point that it was. But for a little while, it really felt like the eyes of the nation were kind of on Asheville. And, and we had some instances over about a week week time were really polarizing and um, it, really dramatic. You know, it, I like to think I had a lot to do with what happened. You know, I was kind of down the in the batting order. I was probably sort of. Uh, lower in the lineup for sure, <laughs> higher up. I was probably batting that. I was like right after the picture. But you know, as you, as your experience with me is, I you know, I've always said that I, I'm a reporter who covers sports, but I'm a reporter first, so I can handle. I think I can walk into any situation. And I was actually there the very first night. They called out. They said, "Hey, there's something going on downtown. Who wants to go?" And I, you know, stupidly said, "Yeah, I'm in. Let's go." And and, 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 uh, and actually, that David, that's up. not. I'm not surprised by that reaction from you, to be honest with you. I remember a gunfight that played out down Main Street one day and you and Jason went chasing after him. But that's a. (laughs) Yeah, we actually found the culprit Uh, on accident. (laughs) Yeah, we did. That was a little terrifying. So that's not what I was trying to do here. But I think we get into this business, of course, to become millionaires. But 
Um, besides that, it, it's to be there for those big moments and and to be able to report and to be able to let people know what's going on. And, you know, that's always been the most important thing. And, and the most exciting thing is when you're there and you know people care and it's your job to let them know. When you're in that situation, it's terrifying, but it's also, you know, the most exciting thing. It's it's why you right. do what you do. So you raised your hand mm-hmm. and said, hey, 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 coach, put me in. And so you take off. Yeah. Tell me what happened. So, yeah, I was probably I was on my front porch a couple of beers in and then we get the call and I say, well, I'm just we got to do this. No one else. No one else wanted to do it. And it was me and my photographer, one of my one best friends, uh, Angelie, who's also just another gung ho. She's like, let's do it. And me and her have traveled all over the state of North Carolina and we've always been real quick you know, quick triggered, ready to go. So we jumped in the car and uh, we, we went to our office parked. It's right downtown and and strapped on our gear and, and just went. And uh, the first night really was the most terrifying because the police were unprepared for what was going on. So it felt the most unorganized and most explosive, you know, it, it, you could feel the tension in the air and you could also feel that no one really understood what was going to happen. You know, the, the rest of the nights took place. There was sort of a little bit of organization to it as we're going to meet here. Cops are going to be there, blah, blah, blah. But this night, people just showed up angry, upset, not enough police. And it started with chanting, shouting. People started throwing things. Then there's flash flames. Then there's tear gas. Um, you know, then police show up and riot here and it, it all hell broke loose. And I remember I'm dragging my photographer out there because we're getting tear gassed and people are getting arrested. And and I'm like, we have to get out of here. Someone's going to get killed. I mean, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like I, I was expecting gunfire. You know, it, it was just felt so tense and and so unpredictable that I was terrified. But, you know, you have to use your instincts. And, and, and also at that time, you're like, OK, you're as a reporter, you're supposed to kind of be on the sideline. You're supposed to you know be free of of any incident. Right. You're, you're just a bystander reporting. But at that point, you're in the middle of it. You know, I'll show you this. Actually, my there's no pencils in it. But my pencil cup now is this is an empty, you know, flashbang canister that I picked up on, on the way back. Because I was like, wow, what a, what a day. And that was after like my fourth night of protesting. But really, it, it was just it was just unorganized chaos and really, really terrifying. And, you know, people would be running back and forth, you know, getting out of the tear gas and going back, throwing water bottles, throwing whatever they had, not near enough police to deal with it. And you could you know, you're close enough. You're looking in the eyes of these police officers. They're terrified. You know, they were not you know, these were guys on bicycles and stuff. These were not what we saw later, National Guard, fully equipped, riot gear. And then I have my own thoughts on all that stuff. But the first night really was unorganized chaos and a lot of fear. And what was kind of interesting, I thought, too, is, you know, at first there was a lot of African-Americans there. And then when stuff's really started to go down, everyone said, OK, they need to leave. And all the white people, you know, who were there were like, OK, we're right. taking it from here. And that's when things really intense. But they're like, listen, we're here, for, which I always thought was pretty neat. They're like, listen, we don't we're doing this for you. Get, you know, we know what can happen in these situations. So we'll take it. We'll use our white privilege from here, which I thought was a, I did my best to keep my opinions out of everything, but I, I like that approach. So uh, the first night was chaos, but this went on for a while. And some of the stories that I heard you repeat and, and kind of read from some of the reporting was, were, were you prepared for the, for the level of law enforcement intervention that occurred? 
I was not prepared for the militarization of a police force that is designed to protect and serve communities. I think to me, that was the most surprising to see what looked like a very intentional use of force on our citizens, on our own citizens, and not so much just to keep away from businesses and to keep from looting whatnot, but true intimidation. And, you know, I was actually, I was before this podcast, I was going through and watching some of our videos and what we had done. Cause you know, it's, how long ago does May 31st feel to you? You know, that's really the, the beginning of coronavirus. We don't even know what we're dealing with. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm getting at least coronavirus at the least of it, you know, maybe shot, but at least coronavirus, which I didn't get either. So I'm very happy about that. From what I saw, what I would characterize as just a complete misuse of force in a lot of a lot of ways. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that came out of there was on the third day, me and a, a photographer captured the police. There was this uh, medical tent that they had kind of put together. A lot of the protesters, it was sort of an unofficial tent. They had water, uh, snacks. They were just kind of there to support. And, you know, they intentionally um, distracted a lot of before the protesting start, distracted everyone. I, I out of the corner of my eye, saw all these guys in military equipment walking down the road and we followed them and, and they went and intentionally destroyed this tent. They're, we've got these pictures of them stabbing through water bottles, you know, which is just and stomping on it and destroying this medical tent, throwing people out of this little uh, alleyway. And I, I still get retweets and likes for this a year later from just the one of the women who had put together the medical tent in tears, just telling me what had happened and that they were just there to support and, and there to help and, and having 20, 30 huge men all in SWAT gear come and destroy all their stuff. I, I thought that was the greatest representation of what I saw the whole time is, is seeing a guy in a SWAT suit with a knife stabbing through a water bottle. And you're like, what? What are we doing here? But I, I remember that feeling of, of just being like, I'm witness, witnessing something wrong. And like I said, our job is not to have judgment, but I'm sitting there. This isn't right. This doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I was really proud that the coverage that we provided, uh, you know, the city ended up, you know, full apology. You know, of course, they looked into everything, but we did what we're supposed to do is which we held them accountable to what they did. But yeah, to answer your question, I think it's so hard to say they're right, they're wrong, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, as far as the police in Asheville, they made a lot of mistakes and and I think they they paid for it. Do you have a sense? I mean, I know here in Taylor and when you were with us in Taylor, we knew all the cops, right? Uh, of course, Taylor's a much smaller community. Yeah. Do, you, do you know those guys? Did you have an opportunity to, to meet many of them? I know that in, in you know, in a, in a sports beat, you don't necessarily brush up against law enforcement, not on that, not on that kind of a level. But obviously, the newsroom knew a lot of these guys, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we knew, you know, they just there was a new police chief and a lot of our, our people were well acquainted with them. We actually we had a former cops beat writer who had just become a police officer. Um, so we knew him, obviously. And, the, you know, I, I knew some people just from personal experience. Like it, it was, you know, it was one of those weird things where you see community versus community. And I and I remember one night going and just talking to some of the National Guard, just some of the kids, you know, kids, literally kids. And I was like, hey, I remember you. You're from the community. You're from Franklin, a community, right? You know, 45 minutes outside of Asheville. You played baseball. Yeah, I did play baseball. Yeah, you knew me. You know, it's all these kids who, you know, from around this area, all of a sudden 
wearing riot gear and, you know, going up against people in their community, you know, it wasn't like they brought out a lot of outsiders. It was just everyone who lived there against wow. each other. I didn't thought about that. Uh, did you have a chance yeah. to talk to any, any of the uh, law enforcement or maybe national guard afterwards? Um, I'd have a few moments where I'd just be standing next to a guy and you'd be like, man, what a night, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. And never really had a lot of chance to, you know, sit down and do long interviews or anything like that. You know, that was, they really held that down and, you know, only had one or two different mouthpiece coming from those organizations, which Absolutely. you would expect. But, you know, most of these guys is just regular guys just doing their jobs, you know, and, and I know that even just saying that is kind of a controversial statement. You know, people say, oh, it's just some bad apples. You know, some people say it's a bad tree, you know, whatever. I'm not trying to put in my two cents about that. But I think that was the toughest part. And I'm sure that was similar in Portland and other places where it's just, you know, cops, just like reporters, live in these communities, shop at the grocery stores, you know, have family who work at these places, da, 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 da. You know, they there's it's a tough situation for them as well. But I, I just think it was poor. I, I think it was poor planning. You know, I, I just looking back at, at these videos and seeing how it just seemed like a, a war zone. I, I can't understand why that was necessary, even if it was to combat some looting, even if it was to combat protesting. It, I just I I can't understand how that's the uh, the right answer to that. And. Yeah, I, I, obviously, this has yeah. changed your perspective on some things. Just talking to you about this, sure. um, can you describe how it's changed your perspective? Well, on what exactly? Community policing would be one thing. Your job, mm. another thing. I mean, you're right. You are a reporter who covers sports, but you're a reporter first. You're one of the, you know, and I don't say this lightly. Uh, you're among those people who have I have worked with and who's worked for me who has a, I, I consider to have a real nose for news, right? And and an understanding of why that's important and uh, how to go about, how to go about reporting that. And what I caught was what I caught a change there in you about the relative importance of, of this kind of event in a community and and how you go about reporting that out. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really lucky to be with some people who, I mean, this was completely right. new for me, obviously. I'd never covered anything like this Same. before. Weirdly Same. enough. And I've been doing this for 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it was a really unique thing and I was really lucky to be among a reporting group. And, you know, it's, it's, it was a smaller newsroom in increasingly smaller, you know, from even the time I'd gotten there a couple of years before, but some, some really great journalists who'd been around that community a long time and, and who really, I mean, I learned on the fly, you know, all, every single night, particularly that first night of what to do, where not to go, how to, you know, how to tweet about these things appropriately and things like that. I, I think experience changes perspective, right? So uh, just as a reporter, I mean, it was a huge growing experience for me because I got to be a part of something so historical and, and that a year later, you want to talk to me about this. It's still, it's obviously still relevant. And, you know, we just had, you know, the, we finally had the trial and, and a, a slight bit of closure on this and it took so long. And obviously there's still so many wounds and, and scars from that. I personally felt when uh, Chauvin got charged and, and finally got, I guess he hasn't been sentenced yet, but this wave of relief, you know, I was so worried if, if we had a, you know, a Rodney King repeat, I'm like, we're here we go again, you know, here we go again. And, and just that feeling, yeah, it was a feeling of relief, you know, and, and because that was such a scary moment for our country during a 
pandemic, no less. I think we forget that, that this is going on in the height of a, of, of a pandemic. But I guess it changed me in the way, you know, it, it reinforced the importance of community journalism. Absolutely. And it just, I, I think it also just changed me because I feel like every night, it's almost like listening to a, to like a murder mystery podcast, you know, and they go episode by episode, hear me out. And by the end of the first episode, you're like, oh, he did it. He did it. And the episode two, you're like, I don't, maybe he didn't, maybe he didn't. Episode three. Oh no, no, no. I know it. I know it. And then the episode, maybe it's this other guy. So what, I guess what I'm saying is each night I, I felt a different perspective of life. I, I can't believe what the police are doing. Well, the protesters aren't really acting correctly. Uh, once again, oh, I can't believe the police would do this. Is this the national guard? But how are they organizing this in Asheville? It, there was just so many different things going on there and, and so many missteps by both sides that you, that really your perspective just changes a lot. And you realize you have to just be open about that. And the toughest part is when you're in the middle of that and you have cops shooting tear gas right at you and they have intentionally trapped you in a corner and you have to take away your anger and, and be a reporter. That's the hardest part. When all what you want to say is you son of us, you know, and you want to yell back and you want to throw and you're upset, but you say, no, I'm a journalist. And that that's a higher calling. I wish it was respected and paid more, but those who have done it realize that they're a part of something big. We're a part of history and we get to report on that. And that's awesome. That's the cool. That's why I'm still doing it 10 years later. Cause it, it feels important and I want to do something. So did you go important. back, have a gas mask now? <laughs> no, we had, no, no, no. They didn't, they didn't quite give us that. We, we at least got, we got slightly more organized as it, as it went on, uh, you know, started wearing, you know, vests and, uh, I mean, that's about all we had to be honest with you. And I mean, we just have to yell every time cops would approach us media, media. And, and I had one cop scared that, you know, heck out of me. He, he said, I don't care. I'll shoot Whoa. you anyway, <laughs> which this is, I, and I tweeted that I said, I said, Asheville police just said they would fire on us, you know, which I had forgotten. I tweeted that. And then I went on my phone 20 minutes later, I was blown up and I was like, okay, hold on. Let me, you know, we're okay. We're okay. We're okay. But it was one of those things where you're out there and you're almost, your tweets are like sort of your, your digital SOSs. You're like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. You know, so if you don't hear from me, this is the last thing I was doing. Here's where I was. It was purely out of protection and you really felt like you needed it out there. So it was wild. It was one of those things. I would never want to do it again, but you know, I'm thankful that I, I was there and, and I was taught by a lot of really great journalists and, and just that we were able to do something important and, and something that, that helped usher in, yeah. in change. So, so what did change? Well, I believe Asheville became the first city to offer reparations to its uh, African-American citizens, which is pretty neat. And I don't know if that came solely off of that, uh, but I know, you know, there, there's been a big push to, defund the police, which, which I know is, it's just one of those political statements now where they, you know, you think that you hear defund the police, like, Oh, there's not going to be cops anymore. And that's right, not the right. situation. It's just more about, they really need more SWAT, you know, military grade things or where else, where can we take that money and, and, you know, develop community programs and working on strengthening that bond between citizens and police. And I, and they've diverted some money to that. I think it's really kept our new police chief and our city council accountable for their actions. All of these protests did, and I think kind of the last four years, if I'm being honest, is put up a mirror to our society. And we all looked into it and said, man, that's not how we want to look. 
unfortunately you have to have these really problematic evenings, these, these tough weeks, these tough years to, to make notable changes, you know, things don't change when things are good, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, and I think it's an ongoing change, but I, I think it's one of those events that hasn't been forgotten in a week. We're like, ah, that was crazy, but people are still talking about it. People are still meeting and and people are still trying to, to better our communities. And I think that's kind of happening nationwide kind of, I mean, feels like every day another you know unarmed black man's being killed by a cop or a woman or you know it it feels like such a, a systematic problem that you don't i i'm not the person to say where the change needs to come from but you know the conversation needs to continue and i think that's where our job is is to keep that keep that in the back of people's minds and hopefully, hopefully. in the front of their minds what am i forgetting to ask you I'll say of, of all the nights I was there and it might've been of the seven, I think I was there for four. I think it might've been the last night I was out there. Uh, the police, the, the most effective tactic they had was non-engagement, which is what they started doing was just closing down certain roads and they just kind of wore the protesters out really not every protester, but I think a lot are looking for altercations because that's what makes the news. That's what draws attention. Unfortunately, that's just how it is. And I think what, what was happening was they just diverting them to different streets and it started to be like, well, shoot, people were getting tired and, and it kind of just wore itself out. I think it, eventually they did come back to a certain area and there was some, you know, they fired upon them a little bit with gas and, and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I think there was too much engagement, particularly for a smaller place like Asheville. I mean, there's other big cities like, yeah. what are you going to do? I, I think the police hopefully, I hope they learn their lesson through that because I don't think we're necessarily done with right. these kind of things. Right. I'm afraid you're right. I'm absolutely afraid you're right. And as as more of these, more of the the, the incidents that resulted from this come to trial, will we risk more civil unrest? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that's such a huge move, you know. And people were saying, "Oh, that's justice," and I'm like, George Floyd's right. not alive, so there's no there's no sentence that is justice for putting your knee on a man for nine minutes. The big part of the protest is right is just like there has to be accountability for for murder from our police department, and if there's not, then what the hell are we doing? So, what's next for you? Well, I, you know, I got to luckily I was lucky to see mm-hmm. you in Austin. Uh, this past week. So I got to take a little vacation and right now I'm uh, trying to kind of just get my bearings, but you know, I now work for USA today covering Duke basketball and, and NC state basketball. What I do and NC state football. Sorry. Uh, you should, should by the that. Way, right? That's an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm still stationed here in Nashville. I'm hoping to stay as long as possible. I, you know, little last season I was commuting back and forth. I might do the same thing. We're, we're going to kind of just see what it looks like with, with all the COVID policies and what I'm allowed to attend and whatnot. But, you know, they know, they know too, from, you know, what my experience that if news happens around here, you know, I'm kind of called upon as well. If it's big things like this, right. I'd be called upon, which is fine with me. I mean, you know, I, I'm a reporter. I just report on sports. So that's whatever's it. around. That's it. Yeah. And, and the next time you need to crash a movie set, we know who to ask, right? I am. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. 
I think what did I do? What did I try to pretend I was like a EP or something like? I'm trying to I remember. How remember. I got on that but set. you showed up. And just got to walk in really confident. I just remember getting a call from somebody the day after, just reaming me out for that. And I'm like, dude, you say it's a closed set. It's like throwing down a gauntlet. I'm just, I don't even know what to tell you. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I'll show you. I was like, I think I ordered a pizza. I was like, deliveries <laughs> for someone? I don't, I don't remember how we did it. Well, David, thanks for sitting in today. I appreciate it, man. Hey, no problem, man. It was, it was uh, fun to reflect. So it's yeah. fun to get to talk always to you. Always fun to talk to you. We'll do it again sometime. All right. Can't wait. Okay. Well, that's our program. Uh, my thanks to David Thompson for sitting in this week. A reminder, you can help people find The Ragged Edge when you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you found it. And please share it with your friends so we can build our audience. The Ragged Edge is a production of RTS Connect, helping public-facing organizations make their point, then stay on point. Info at rtsconnect.org. Original theme music composed and performed by Ryan Stone. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for listening to The Ragged Edge. See you next week. Thank you.